All right, I'm Jake Vedette, and as always, it's a joy to be with you, open God's Word, and see what He might have for us. Um, Obviously, first order of business is Happy Mother's Day. Uh, A couple things. Um, Man, mothers, Northbrook mothers, I just am so blown away by you. I really am. I get to like see you in action and caring for your kids. And I get to hear about like my wife benefits from all of your intentionality with your kids and ideas that you've shared with her that we get to implement at our house. And so I'm just incredibly encouraged by uh, the mothers at Northbrook. And what I hope and pray is that Northbrook would continue to be a place where you feel equipped to walk out the incredible calling Uh, that God has put before you. And so we're just thankful for you. We love you um, and thankful that God has uh, brought just so many godly mothers uh, to Northbrook. And I think about even the uh, mothers that have just had their first kid or expecting uh, one of their first kids and how, uh, man, just utilize the great resources that God has before you in this place uh, of mothers who have walked this road and not perfectly because none of us do, Uh, but seeking to love Jesus and pour Jesus into their kids. Uh, I would encourage you just to ask uh, and and see what wisdom might be there for you. And and then as is always appropriate uh, on this day is it's also just good to acknowledge that this day can be hard for many, really. Even as encouraging as it can be, it can be really hard. If you've recently lost uh, a mother, uh, you've recently lost a child, either outside or within the womb, um, for those that desire to be a mom, uh, for those that have estranged relationships with their mom or with their kids. Uh, that can be really hard. Um, and one of the other thing I hope Northbrook to be is a people, because that's what we are as a church, is a people gathered together that we can be honest about those things uh, as we seek God's healing and comfort together. Uh, because there's so much brokenness in this world, uh, and it touches all of our lives. And so uh, I'd love to celebrate the beauty of the mothering I see uh, all of you doing, but also the hardness and the reality uh, of what um, this day can hold for many. And then also, just one more thing, I think it's timely that Mother's Day should fall in the midst of the raging debate of abortion uh, from the leaked document from the Supreme Court. Uh, And and as Christians that believe all life is precious and created in the image of God, there are some things that maybe we can hopefully celebrate. But man, as we see just this debate, there's so many things to mourn and weep about. Like it is just um, disheartening. And um, just the the, the flippancy uh, to which people talk about ending life. Uh, and the lives of those that are most vulnerable and, and weakest in, in the world. Um, it's just, it, it's put it in all of our faces uh, more. I mean, this has all been going on, but now we see that even more fully, and it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. Um, and so uh, it's just, you know, again, uh, a reality that uh, I want to acknowledge. And so I'm just going to pray for all of these things. Take a moment to pray for moms. Uh, take a moment to pray for the unborn and take a moment to pray for our country in the midst of all uh, that is going on before we kind of hop into uh, the text for today. So uh, pray with me. Uh, Holy Spirit, I just thank you for how you have shaped and molded and led 
the, the mothers here at Northbrook to love and care for and disciple their kids in so, so many intentional ways. Uh, would you continue to bless them in that? Uh, I pray against the, the, the shame they can uh, buy into from feeling like a failure. I pray that they would feel encouraged in the work that you put before them. Uh, I pray that you would help them. Uh, I pray that you'd put them in each other's lives, that they could encourage uh, one another along uh, this road of uh, raising kiddos. And I just thank you for them. And again, would this be a place where uh, we equip mothers to, to the great calling you've called them to? And God, I just, God, you see and know all. You see within the womb. Uh, you see um, the loss. You see the hidden frame of bodies. Um, and so, God, even I think about the many here that have experienced miscarriage and loss of a child or, or uh, you know, carrying a child to term and losing a child late in term or losing a child um, uh, as the, on the other side of the womb and just how hard that reality is. And so, God, we cry out to a God who sees and knows all and also a God that is not foreign to that loss. And so I pray that any of those people, those moms, uh, would cry out to you as someone who knows and relates. Um, And for sisters here that desire to be a mom, they're married and desiring to be a mom, they're unmarried and desiring to be a wife and a mom, um, those unfulfilled desires, again, God, you see and know those. Would would, uh, we be a place that walk with one another uh, in honesty and grief and lament and loss and struggle, uh, seeking you all the way? And I pray that you would bring comfort to those. Um, And God, you, man, we we just, our, our country just needs you and prayer and so much. It's so divided in so many ways already, and now this is just another picture of that division. Um, and God, in that, I do want to pray that even if there's those here that have gone through and, and had an abortion, uh, God, that they would not see themselves outside of your grace and your mercy, uh, but that your grace and mercy covers all, uh, much more than that, especially that. And so that, that would be uh, what they would cling to in that. And God, we just ask for you to lift up your arm and protect the innocent unborn kids. Um, the, the many that um, are being disregarded, God, would you move in a new way in our place, and our country, but in the hearts of people to, to make us a people uh, that value the sacrifice of caring for the vulnerable, not look to our own needs and our own selfish interest. Um, and God, that's just your miraculous work. And so would you help us as a country? Uh, so much of this is, is hard to navigate and talk about and so passionate and angry. And so just help us be a people that are clear, that are about your justice and about your truth, but also do that in a way that you would um, with winsomeness, with kindness, with clarity, uh, and with gentleness. Just help us. We need it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So long beginning, uh, just to even clarify, like at, at the beginning of each of our services, sometimes we spend more time here or not, but we have what's called a pastoral greeting. And so it's just a moment where we can talk about something before we get into uh, the sermon. And that's what that is. It's just uh, when something's going on in the culture and something's going on that we want to pray about or talk about, 
um, we can spend kind of that extended moment uh, before the sermon. And so, yeah. So now, as we're thinking about Matthew 6 and coming into a new section of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, one of the thoughts I had just about Jesus' words here is that the Sermon on the Mount is just incredibly exposing. Um, that's, what, that's what Jesus is doing. Um, and, and it's going to continue to be that way. Like he doesn't really let up. It's not like, oh man, this was kind of convicting, this was heavy or this was, but then we get a, it just continues to be exposing and uh, piercing. And uh, for some of us, it might even be, might've pressed us to our limit uh, because Jesus' words go forth and they, they find what they're looking for. Um, and, and it can be hard to, to kind of come to grips uh, with all of those things. Um, and this is what he's doing is calling us to life in his kingdom. And in and, and many ways, it's a correction to the little kingdoms that we try to build up for ourselves. And so he's just continuing uh, to do that. And so the question I have for us as we get into this passage is, how are we responding to that correction? If Jesus is calling us to life about his kingdom, in his kingdom, and that very process means we're laying down the little kingdoms that we can all get so preoccupied with, um, what, how are we responding to that? How are we responding to Jesus' correction? Are we ignoring Jesus' call? Just simply thinking it's for somebody else? Or again, we're pressed to our limit, so we're like, I just can't handle anymore, and I'm just going to ignore the rest of this. Are we receiving it, but relying on our own strength to correct our behavior? Like, okay, no, I am pretty bad. I am not doing great. And so I'm going to make some better decisions here. I'm going to finally get this thing right and relying on our own strength to get this job done. Or are we receiving it, being humbled by it, confessing and repenting and praying for God to continue to change us in the way that only he can? Uh, and uh, clinging and, and crying out to the only one that has power to change. Uh, obviously, this is a healthy, godly response. And so I just want to encourage us as we continue to hear Jesus' words, let's be sensitive to the Spirit. Let's ignore the lies of our flesh and the enemy as we continue to learn from Jesus because he just has much to teach us. And so as, as we come to Matthew 6, I think it's good to remember that at this point in the sermon, Jesus didn't say, all right, hey, let's turn to Matthew 6. Um, that, you know, that wasn't a thing. Like the, uh, oh, hey, there's Lily. It's good to see you, love. Um, but uh, in a few weeks, I'm going to preach on uh, passage, the passage at the end of Matthew 6, and it's uh, really important for how God's used us to parent Lily. But anyways, uh, Jesus didn't say, hey, let's tur everybody turn to Matthew 6. We're going to continue going through the sermon. He was just preaching the sermon. And I say that because it's important for us. We can see that chapter change, and there is a transition, but it's not a transition that separates it from everything that we just uh, talked about and uh, learned about from Matthew 5. It's still a continuation of what Jesus was doing in Matthew 5. This chapter 6 is still Jesus encouraging us to live out this greater righteousness uh, that he's called us to. It's still Jesus encouraging us to align our actions with our hearts that we're this whole person. We're not just having actions that are separate from our hearts or, or believing that we can have a heart that doesn't really attach to the, the actions of our day-to-day -day life. He's calling us to live these realities out. And, and as we know, in chapter 5, he just plot, had six kind of examples of applying the Old Testament law to our life. And today, 
we're going to see three examples of just common religious practice and how often in those that our motives uh, can just get off. Uh, Verse 1 serves as kind of a little introduction to this new section where it says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Now, you you probably should be asking a question if you remember chapter 5, wondering if Jesus is contradicting himself here. Because Matthew 5, 16, if you remember, after the Beatitudes, kind of the conclusion to that portion, says in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So almost seemingly two contradictory statements. Hey, beware of practicing righteousness before others. And hey, be sure that others see your good works. And obviously Jesus is correcting different struggles here. In 5.16, he's calling us kind of out of cowardice uh, and to the courage of living our faith publicly or living our faith before uh, everybody, that we're just being who we are and we're not cowardly kind of hiding some of those things uh, because of some of the backlash or because of some, we're afraid of how people might respond, but let your light shine. Who are you? You love Jesus and you're living for him. You can just do that and be that way um, so that people might give God glory. But here in our passage, Jesus is correcting the pride of living out our faith publicly so that we might receive glory. That's the, that's the difference here. 516 is, hey, live before others that people might glorify God. And in, in chapter 6, uh, he's telling us to, hey, be weary of the pride that you have in your life in which you're looking for your own glory by living out uh, these righteous deeds. Um, and this difference even helps us see that rewards is a common theme that we'll see well, throughout the sermon, but especially in our passage. And the passage use of rewards is really, it's not hi- highlighting heavenly rewards, although it is that, and we'll get to that in a few weeks. But it's, in this passage, it's talking about our focus. Like, are we focused on temporary earthly rewards? Or are we focused on the decisions we make re- being reflected in eternity? Um, and that's the, the difference that Jesus Uh, is highlighting there. And he gives us these three different examples, giving to the needy, prayer, and fasting. And in each of these examples, we're going to see hypocrisy exposed and true obedience called for. So we see the first example there, uh, starting in verse 2. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So I, again, I think if we just, we, we've heard this passage so much, but I, I just picture this scene of somebody just like, oh, hey, what are you doing? Oh, like, I'm just here, you know, just about to give to the needy, but it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. And then but they're like, well, who's the trumpet guy? Oh, well, he's just here to blow a trumpet to kind of let people know that I'm about to give to the needy. But it's just a, you know, kind of model so other people might be encouraged to give as well. Um, it's just a really interesting way to go about giving to the needy as we think about what's going on here. Um, and we, we can imagine the hypocrisy. And, and obviously, Jesus, is, is, is he does so, so much, is he's given us such a clear uh, example of hypocrisy. But hypocrisy, like anything else, is a spectrum, right? Like, like even if we think about humility, like you know someone that's really humble, and like, and like genuinely humble, like not just the person that doesn't care about anything, but the person that cares about things, but walks with God and genuinely humble. Uh, well, we would all 
recognize and believe they have pride in their life. Like they do have pride that's present in their life. Often people that are really humble are actually more aware of the pride that they have in their life. And hypocrisy, hypocrisy is the same thing. I think about prideful people, the, the most prideful people think they don't struggle with pride at all. Um, and, and so hypocrisy can be really similar. It's a, it's a spectrum. We, we all have hypocrisy in our life. But again, I don't think that it would be accurate to call us all hypocrites in the way that even Jesus or the culture is using it. Um, the word hypocrite actually comes from the theater where uh, there would be hypocrites that would be pretending to be someone that they were not, which makes sense. It's a good thing to do in that setting. And Jesus saying, that is not how it should be uh, with my followers. That's not how it should be with those that are following me, claiming to follow me, or claiming to love God and live for him, uh, but being off in their motives or off in, in so many different things. And Jesus obviously is saying, God is not fooled. Like, everybody else can be fooled. I can be fooled so easily, but God's not, and, and he's never fooled. Um, he goes on and says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your, let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that you may, so that your giving, sorry, so that your giving may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And so, one of the things that's important that all three of these examples is that Jesus assumes they're all present. It's when you give to the needy, he assumes we are giving to the needy, like that's just a, a, a an aspect of our life. So he's not saying stop giving to the needy. He's saying, you should be giving to the needy. You may be doing it wrong, but you still need to continue to be giving to the needy. That is uh, a reality. Um, But when we do that, we see two temptations to hypocrisy. Verse 2, very clearly, that we would do it, uh, that we might be praised by others. And, And again, we don't have our trumpet guy probably next to us, just ready to blow the horn as soon as we're doing this. Uh but there's all kinds of different ways that we might do it. It's really easy to conveniently slip into the conversation, you know, some sacrifice we're making or something we've done or something, or just hoping the conversation gets steered in a particular direction where we can kind of point to the sacrifice that we've made, whether financial or, or some other way to help and how, how good we've been. Um, that's a temptation for us. But then also in verse three, it says, do not left, let your left hand know what your right hand is doing is the temptation of just simply praising ourselves. Now, obviously, giving to the needy can be, a, should be an encouraging, joyful experience that we can find great joy in. Uh, but this is done in light of the reality that everything we have comes from God, that we cannot give anything in which we have not already been given. And so there's no room for pride. There's no room for self-congratulation. It's, of course, I mean, God has been so generous to me. Of course, I would be generous here. Of course, I would give to this need that has been put before me. Of course, I would search out for needs to meet because God searched out and found me and has been so generous to me even when I wasn't looking for him. Um, that, that's the, uh, well, the answer to the temptation of praising ourselves and um, God sees when you give to the needy. That's what we see here. He sees what's going on. He sees what your motivations are. Uh, He sees when they're based on what you can get now, uh, the connections you can make, maybe even the superiority you can feel when you give to the needy. He sees all of that. He sees it better than we do. 
lot of times that stuff's even hidden to us, uh, but he sees it all. Um, but the other motivation would be based on the reality that there's this eternal reward that we're not giving on any of those uh, things that could happen because of this moment of sacrifice, but because God has been so kind to us and we get to be with him forever. Those are the, the different motivations. Um, and I think this example is just so applicable to all kinds of different ways. I think of even serving the church. One, don't stop serving. Uh, if you notice you're having a struggle here, we just need you to confess and uh, walk with God. But, but that's what, and that is really what Jesus is, is saying here. And I think about that even in, in all kinds of things. Like if you're called to be a missionary, called to be a church planter, called to be a pastor, the reality is sometimes we want, we think, especially the more, like even those callings, we think those callings, we may not say it this way, but we think they're absolutely pure. We think they're not tainted by any sin and whatsoever. Like, I'm going to be a missionary. How could that be impure? Well, because you're a sinner. That's how it can be impure. Like the desire to plant a church. Well, man, how could you, you're risking so much. How could that be? Well, there's lots of ways. Uh, there's, there's nothing you can do that uh, is completely pure. But again, that doesn't mean we're not called to it because that's the other extreme. Sometimes we want it to be pure because we think if we find sin there, we shouldn't do it. And that's not what Jesus is saying. That's not what the scriptures say. It's just that even when he calls us to do things, He's also caring for us in the midst of that calling. Uh, even when he calls us to give to the needy, he actually cares about growing our heart and our affections for him and our life for him in the midst of that. It's not just about this act. God is doing a thousand things. Um, and, and he's always caring and tending and thinking of us and not leaving us out uh, of this process. And so I would encourage you, even as you think about serving in the church, even as you think about what God might be calling you to be a missionary, to plan a church, to serve or sacrifice in some particular way, uh, be, be willing for that, that calling to be sanctified uh, along that process. Uh, and, and, and obviously, ultimately, you could, it could be determined, okay, this isn't what the Lord has for you. But even if it is, um, we should be willing to uh, examine the motives of our heart uh, along the way. I think Mother's Day is even a good example to this. Like how often as dads, uh, as, and that when we get Mother's Day right, like how quick are we to celebrate that and be like, man, you, you can't imagine what I did this. But how quick are we to talk about it when we don't get it so right? When we're like, when you're right now thinking, oh yeah, I need to do something. Um, and... Uh, when you, when you, you know, yeah, that's, it's just a, what, what is our motivation there? What is our, are we, are we celebrating and enjoying our mom in whatever way makes sense for our, our family um, based on who God is and what he's done for us? Or are we doing it so we can get the praise uh, of others? Uh, God has been generous to us. Uh, let us believe this. Let us respond in grateful worship for this. And part of that worship is giving to the needy. He goes on to the second example. In verse five, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. I'm gonna say this every time. It's when you pray, not if. It's a good thing to consider. Some of you pray often. Some of you maybe don't pray that much. It's good to think about Jesus is assuming you're praying. When was the last time you prayed? 
What does your prayer life look like? Those are just good. Jesus is assuming it's there and it's consistent and there's temptation that comes along with it. It's when you pray, not if. And, and the next week, as you can see, what we skipped this week in this passage is the Lord's Prayer that we'll focus on next week. But Jesus, again, he's not saying we can only pray in private. Again, we're to be a city on a hill to show our good deeds to all, including our prayer. He is saying what you pray, what you pray like when you are by yourself, and there is no one to impress, is who you really are. Like what you pray like when it's just you and the Lord, that is who you really are. That is what your prayer life is really like. Not what I pray before sermons or after sermons, or, or, but when I am alone with the Lord, when you are alone with the Lord. And here's the thing, in, in, in today's culture, this is really hard for people in my kind of position, uh, or, if you're, or for the pastors who are always kind of thinking about others, uh, but even just in our constantly connected culture, especially social media or, or, or constantly kind of broadcasting culture, like sometimes it's hard to l- genuinely be alone, like even when you're alone. And sometimes even in that moment, you're, you can maybe even be thinking about, uh, oh, man, this could make a good Instagram post. Oh, man, I, this, God moved in this way. And I, I'm, it's easy to make that joke, but it's also just a real thing, um, like, hey, God moved in a particular way. I, I should share this on Facebook. Or I should, and then just our mind completely starts to move to other people and other things. And other people, even when we're alone, start to crowd in, not just praying for them, that's good, but crowd in even how we are and who we are with God. Um, and Jesus is saying there's, there's something to just being alone with God. And my point is being alone in today's culture is harder, is just really hard, even when we are alone. But it's a good thing. Uh, to consider. Um, For the Pharisees, this revealed their hypocrisy, Um, that when they prayed, their hypocrisy was revealed. And and I know, even as I was saying that, I know so many of you, and I know who you are alone with God is the same person that you are before others. And praise praise God for that. But in the Pharisees' life, it it revealed this gap, this hypocrisy. Um, And we see, see... uh, some of this in verses 7 and 8. Jesus goes on and says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. We'll come back to verse 8, but um, I think it's important to, to understand that God in our prayer, and we'll see this next week even a bit more, he wants to hear our heart. He's not looking for us to impress him. He's not looking for us to, you know, have a different words or a different vocabulary or different language than we're typical to. He's, he's worried and desired and concerned for us to express our heart towards him and be honest about who we are with him. He's correcting two errors here in verse 7. Uh, the Pharisees look to impress others with their prayers. And again, I think that's kind of the, the social media kind of temptation uh, whether you're on social media or even if you're not on social media, but just the way you talk about your spiritual life with others, that temptation to impress. Or the Gentiles look to make their prayers work with eloquence or reciting certain mantras that would kind of make God do a particular thing. Like if they got the right words right, then God would kind of, in a sense, be more likely to do what they wanted him to do. The reality is they both believed their gifts and abilities were the most important thing they could showcase in this moment. 
even in prayers with God, they believed their gifts and abilities were what was most important in that moment. They didn't want to look weak and needy, but strong and important. They wanted to impress others or impress God. Like, God, look at all these words. Look, I've recited this whole psalm to you. Um, They were thinking their gifts, what was most important. And we definitely do this with actual prayer, but we definitely do it in all kinds of other ways. Um, When we think our gifts and our abilities and wisdom is what is most needed. And we don't forsake those things. Those are obviously gifts from God. But always and forever, God will be fine without them. He's not in need of you. He's not in need of me. He, by his grace, gifts us with opportunities and capacities and experiences to to serve him. But he does not need us. Um, And those gifts are never what is most important. Even when we're using them to their fullest for God's glory, God and his glory are always what is most important. Um, That is what our heart should desire and should be after. Prayer is an intimate moment with our God, uh, a God that sees and knows all and and, and that exposes our weaknesses, our frailties, uh, exposes our fears, and and, and is a God that we can come and bring all of those things to. Uh, we, We need to not treat prayer as an opportunity before others or before ourselves, even alone in our closet, to impress, to posture, Uh, but to be weak and needy uh, before this God. And then if you look at the the last example in Matthew 6, verses 16 through 18, Jesus says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your heads and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, I think this, the, the whole when, not if, will be a little more pressing here. Like when you fast, not if you fast, but when you fast. Not asking for out loud answers, but when was the last time you fasted? And Jesus, the scriptures seem to assume this as like a regular practice in the life of believers. And excluding health issues or anything like that, when was the last time you fasted from food for a period of time to seek the Lord in a particular way? That's, what, that's how the Bible talks about fasting. It's good to fast from social media. It's good to fast from screens. Those are glorious things to do. But the Bible is not meaning that anytime it says fasting. But anytime the Bible says fasting, it's talking about fasting from food to seek the Lord Um, in prayer. And so when was the last time you did that? Jesus says, when, uh, not if. And also even, and today I think even it's important to say, not even just for health reasons. The whole intermittent fasting thing can be a good, helpful thing, but it's not the same as fasting spiritually um, for a spiritual reason. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that, but what does it look like to not fast from something else, not fast for health reasons, but fast and seek the Lord. Um, and then when you do this, or even really similar religious acts that are like that, you might be tempted to look gloomy, as we see in verse 16. Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. I think Jesus is getting after here. Uh, it's some kind, sometimes mocked as like the, I don't know if you've heard the phrase, like all saved, all serious um, just like a, the Christian that is just, you know, lives a gloomy life, like just this serious, 
everything's serious all the time. Hey, I'm serious. Hey, I take God really seriously. Hey, stop laughing. You need to start taking God really seriously. I would laugh, but I'm so hungry from fasting that I can't really, it just hurts. Um, and, uh, but just that, that idea of we're drawing attention uh, to our seriousness, to how serious we are. We kind of maybe even want to say it this way, but we're a little set apart from the rest of uh, the community, Christianity, people, um, that we, we've got this really accurate view that other people don't seem to be able to possess. Um, and, and Jesus is calling that out and saying, okay, you can kind of get over yourself a bit. Um, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites do. Um, does fasting or any other religious practice tempt you to think you are set apart from the church body in a special way? Jesus is calling us to turn from that kind of pride. I like how Sinclair Ferguson says this, talking about this verse. He says, there's more than one way for hypocrites to disfigure their faces. The man who so desires can let it be known how demanding he finds it to serve the Lord. Let me just stop there real quick. Do you find yourself constantly talking about the sacrifices you're making for your family, for your work, for the church, is that just a constant refrain in your life? There's something that's gotten off there. There's something you feel like you're making up for. Um, the man who desires can let it be known how demanding his, he finds it to serve the Lord. He will have his reward. There are still plenty of gullible people who will be taken in. And then Sinclair Ferguson says, fast. He's again, that's what Jesus is saying. Fast, Jesus says, such self-discipline is essential in the Christian life. But when you do, be a normal human being. Take a shower, use some aftershave, and smile. Do your fasting before the Lord and not, not before men. So all of these things, we should give to the needy, obviously. We should pray, we should fast. Um, and we need to, again, be content with the ongoing sanctification of these areas uh, of our life. We can grow in doing them, and we can grow in how we do them. We can grow in uh, fasting more often and praying more sincerely and giving to the needy, and we can grow in actually that action being more holistically tied to the motivations of our actual heart. We can, that's a thing, that's what we should desire, that's sanctification. Um, we need to be willing to do that. Uh, desiring our hearts and actions becoming more in line as God convicts and encourages us and lead us, leads us in these particular areas. I want to close with Jesus repeats three truths in each of these examples. And, and I just want us to, to hear these and consider them as we close. Each time he says that the Father sees our secret actions when we're alone. That when we're alone, our Father sees those moments. And then he also says the Father sees our secret thoughts when we're in public. So whether we're praying, whether we're doing whatever, uh, whether we're with people, God sees all of our thoughts in public. Sees all of our actions when we're alone. Sees all of our thoughts when we are in public. And then the Father rewards us for what he sees. There's a straightforward message from Jesus' words here. The Father sees all, and then he rewards us for what he sees. And, and I kind of hang out there because Jesus repeats it three times 
And so there's something Jesus is wanting us to experience here. It's good just to know, what is your initial response to these three truths? When you hear that, is it shame? You hang your head focused on defeat, on how much he sees, on what's going on there. Like you think of what you even know and he sees even more than that. Is it blame? Like, man, I wouldn't be so bad if all these other things weren't bad, if this wasn't going on. Uh, If these people could figure something out, uh, things would be better there. Or sometimes maybe even in response to that, we blame God. Like, God, why don't you just fix me? Why don't you make my heart better? Why don't you do this? We, We can feel shame for defeat, or we can start to get a little defensive towards God and be like, God, I would be better if you would just make me better. I want you to make me better. Do that right now. Why not? Uh, we start to blame God for the wrong responses in our life. Or just good old-fashioned pride. Yeah, I, he sees, and I am pretty awesome in these areas. And he, he's, he's pretty pleased with what he sees. Um, and, and that's actually a fairly common response is, man, I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy with what God has seen here. I think I'm kind of nailing it in these areas. Or, and what Jesus is getting at with the Pharisees is they are, if you look at Matthew 6 and how, much, how many times Jesus mentions the Father, the Pharisees are just mischaracterizing the Father. They're just thinking he is someone who is just worried about what they're doing and, how, and, and the way they're doing it and judging uh, in a way that's removed from a holistic commitment to him. And Jesus is trying to correct that and saying, you actually have a father who cares. So you have a father who loves. You have a father who provides abundantly for you, who gives mercy and grace in your time of need. Like this is your father. Um, and so even when we think of those truths that this father sees what we're doing in secret, he sees our secret thoughts when we're in public, and he rewards, our response can be love. Like love for God <laughs> that, that he sees, that, that we can love him and trust him knowing that he sees. Um, and, and a thankfulness for the love that he has shown that of course he sees, and of course he knows all, that that is an opportunity for us to express our love towards him for any growth and work and, uh, and then any sin that he forgives, that he gives more grace, that blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy, that he gives mercy, that he gives his righteousness for those that hunger and seek for it in these areas. He, he gives more righteousness. He satisfies us. This is what our Father does. If you look back at verse 8, it says, Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. You know what is true about someone who knows what you need before they even ask? It's they know you and they love you. Like this is what we think about uh, the, the friend that says the right word at the right moment and an un, just un... Um, you know, yeah, just knows you and knows what you need to hear. Or, or the family member that offers to serve without you even asking and just reaches out. They, they just love you. They know what you need before you even speak it. This is just a description of someone that loves you. And more than any of that, God the Father looking upon you and saying, I know you. And because I know, you should feel great freedom to ask. 
for your father knows what you need before you even ask him. And so you should feel freedom to come to God and tell him and ask him and lament to him and repent to him, whatever it is. You don't have to feel any shame, but complete freedom because he already knows. I was struck by this statement this week, a, a verse that might lead us to, why do I need to pray if he already knows, is meant to communicate that God is with you and for you, that he knows you and loves you. Of course he knows. That's why you can come to him and ask. He's not going to be surprised by any of it. I love what John Stott says about this. He says, Jesus makes it clear that God is not some impersonal force, but is our Father in heaven. The personal God of love and power, fully revealed by Jesus Christ, creator of all, who cares about the creatures he has made and the children he has redeemed. And so again, when we think about the Father knowing, the Father seeing, and the Father rewarding, we can think about, again, John 3.16, that out of his great love, he sent his only son, that we might be forgiven, that we might know him, that we might be reconciled to him, that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins and to be reconciled to God is the best expression. Like we're going to get no better expression of God's love. We have it all. And we get to see that and we get to know that and we get to um, see our God in light of that even when we know he sees everything. Um, That's why we can live with confidence and love for him and receive his love, even though he sees the depths of our heart that we know, um, especially in any of these situations, uh, can get really dark. And so we get to leave shame behind. We get to confess our pride. We get to lay down our little kingdoms and experience the abundant love of God for our hypocritical hearts. That's grace upon grace, my friends, that we get to do that in the midst of these struggles. And in doing this, we are becoming less hypocritical as the Spirit transforms us from one degree of glory to another. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us in this way. Lord Jesus, I thank you for just your teaching. Thank you for this sermon. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you take these words that you um, inspired, that you were with Jesus when he spoke, that you were with Matthew as he wrote, and you're with us right now as we desire to know and apply them and walk them out in our lives. So, Spirit, what a gift that we cry out to the one who is all around these words. Um, And you use them to shape us and form us. And so would you do that? Spirit, there's so many things that could be said, but Spirit, you say what needs to be said to our hearts. And so would you do that now? Would you encourage? Would you convict? Would you lead us as we think about uh, giving to the needy, as we think about praying, as we think about fasting, as we think about the ways that our actions and our hearts can so often have a gap? Uh, Spirit, would you do the work that only you can do? Grow us and shape us and and help us be in a church that's not trying to impress one another, not trying to live for the praise of one another, not trying to figure out just how to follow you perfectly to get you to do what we want you to do, 
that we get to live honestly before one another, that we get to live honestly before you. We get to trust you as you're growing and shaping and working us all along the way. Uh, We need your help, so would you help us? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So brothers and sisters, as we do each week, we respond to God's word. We respond to the good news of the gospel, uh, the reality that Jesus lived the perfect life, that he died on the cross for our sin, that he resurrected from the grave, that he's reigning and ruling even now. Uh, We respond to that good news by coming to the table and taking of the bread and the wine or the juice to remember, to remember how much we need this truth and what he's done for us. And so I would encourage you to do that today. If you're a guest with us, you're, you're welcome to partake. We just ask that you be a Christian. We ask that you know and love and follow Jesus. And if that is true of you, then you're welcome to come to the table and partake with us today. Uh, we do it maybe a little differently in the sense of you can come and get the elements as soon as I walk off the stage. And then as you go back to your seat, uh, just pray and consider Uh, Paul tells us to examine our hearts as we come to uh, partake of communion. So do that. Examine your hearts. Confess. Cry out to God. Read the scriptures. Whatever that looks like for you. Um, And then you take the bread whenever you're ready, remembering Jesus' broken body on your behalf. But we always like to celebrate the corporate reality of this that we've been called to, that we're called to this body together. Uh, And so hold on to the cup, and we'll take that together, uh, celebrating and acknowledging um, just the, the truth that we are unified in our need for all that Jesus has done for us. Um, and so we'll do that together. And again, uh, church, I would just encourage you. This, you have freedom in this moment. Just uh, let the Spirit lead you and guide you uh, as you respond.
You can stand with me. The blood of Christ shed for you.